Welcome, dear listeners. I'm Jonathan Carlin. And I'm Benjamin Carlin. And we invite you to join us through the Gryffindor, your one-way ticket to the enchanting world of Harry Potter. So grab your wands and dust off your broomsticks and join us as we unlock the treasures behind Chamber of Secrets Chapter 7, Mudbloods and Murmurs. Oh. Sorry, to throw, sorry to throw such nasty language into the title there. I really couldn't avoid it. I know. There's really no two ways around it. This yeah. is... I, honestly, uh, I... I I know what the murmurs are. Yep. I'm surprised that that uh, without being referred to as murmurs. Yeah. That they're that they're chapter title worthy. I, I agree. They don't. There's a, it really just sort of happens like right there at the end, and they're not called murmurs. But perhaps the fact that it is like in the chapter title should like clue you in. Like that's like extra important. Like notice that, please. Yeah, yeah. Not that it doesn't really stand on its own, but right. Um, uh, it feels like maybe the chapter title was chosen for its alliterative properties. There's, um, there's always that. Yeah. yeah. There, I, uh, I, and I do always love a good alliteration. Um, but I, I remember stepping into this chapter. And so, and for reference for anybody who hasn't just like read this particular chapter and doesn't have it like totally top of mind, the murmurs are going to be in reference to Harry's detention hours with uh, Gilderoy Lockhart where mm. he will first hear um, Slytherin's monster yes. letting out murmurs into uh, into the castle a little bit there. So that that's what it's in reference to. As I entered the chapter, I was like, what are the murmurs? What are the murmurs? Like, I, like literally, like even even having read this story as many times as I have, like it's funny because so often when I'm listening to the story, it's like usually with my headphones on on the weekends when I'm doing like work around the house, and so like I don't pay a tremendous amount of mind to the chapter titles themselves very often. Like, yeah, it's just sort of like going from one thing to the next. So that that's what's so unique about this particular like project that we're working on is like the fine tooth comb is directing your attention to like so many details that otherwise like you just happily glaze over and just sort of like you know let the story continue to unfold before right exactly you. but then but then when you're looking at it like individual by individual it's like well now we need to analyze it like does yeah, it we make gotta sense? Talk about that. <laughs> let's look at this let's look at that yeah um so the one of the first things i looked at as usual was the uh, chapter art for this one which i have never really given a proper look before and at first i was like okay yeah um what's what's happening here and it's sort of like ron looking at a uh cauldron and i think like at a glance i wouldn't have even like what it is is Ron and the slugs that he's puking up in this chapter. Yes. But like at a glance, even knowing that that happened in the chapter, it was not obvious to me that that's what it was because the cauldron is so big and it is overflowing with slugs. I'm like, I have vastly been underestimating the amount of slugs Ron is producing. Like yes. this is a waist high cauldron, which is literally overflowing with slugs like oh my gosh ron that i have not felt sorry enough for you over I, the years i know the sheer dehydration that would go that would that, that would tax a human's body to produce this many slugs to come out of you i mean volume wise i think that the cauldron is as big as one ron weasley as pictured i mean yeah he produces like his weight in slugs if not more like where is this happening from? And then to make matters worse, he has to stay up past the midnight in the trophy room, like, like after being uh, this sick all day. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. What? This is this is like one of Ron's just worst days. Oh my goodness! The art, I think it's a hilarious artwork, uh, but it's <laughs> it's 
<laughs> it just paints such a different picture. Like I feel like in the movie, he's got like a bucket and he's sort of like belching them up, you know, one at a time here and there. This makes it look like there was a just a never ending stream for a good like this is the only ones he caught in the bucket. You know, can you only imagine if he had actually successfully hit Malfoy with the spell? <sighs> I mean, there's, I mean, there is no doubt that Lucius would have been on premises. There is. I mean, yeah, for this amount of slugs, he produced like one Draco Malfoy's worth of slugs here. It's <laughs> way too many. It's like not for not not for nothing, though. I think it speaks to just how powerful Ron is. Like, I mean, this is a, I mean, according to Hagrid later in the chapter, this is a tricky curse at its best. And I mean, not I mean, Ron hits like a 12 out of 10 in terms of execution. Yes. If not for if, if if only he had uh, sent it in the correct direction. I know. Yeah. Although, to be fair, this is this is maybe like one of those weird things where it's like a malfunctioning wand can barely produce magic. But maybe when it does, it produces like a tremendous amount of perhaps. Magic. Yeah, because when Lockhart will later be on the receiving end of a backfiring spell from Ron's wand. Yeah, he will also have a memory charm that is like like at 12 out of 10. That's true. Like, yeah, yeah. That like hospitalizes him for life. Yes. Yes, indeed. So I guess, I guess that there is at least a fair bit of continuity to the, the, the incredible degree of the power of the backfiring charm. Um, that being said, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. I'm looking at my first two pages and this might be the first time, uh, for any chapters that we've had so far, um, where I don't have anything highlighted or underlined on my first two pages at all. I've got a couple of things okay, um, okay. Uh, go, going here. We already sort of talked about the wand. Um, the thing that happens on the second page is that uh, Harry is excited to just sleep in on the weekend, but nothing doing. Oliver Wood, captain of the Gryffindor Quidditch team, is ready. He is up at like six in the morning just in Harry's dorm room, just like, wake up, Quidditch practice, let's go, which to me is just like, there's like, it is surprising to me that Wood doesn't tell the team the night before, like, "Hey, we're having Quidditch practice right now." Yeah, it's like it's like he's like, I, on the one hand, it's like annoying, but on the other hand, I absolutely love Wood's mania about Quidditch and the way he thinks about it. And it's like, like I can only imagine that from his point of view, is like, if I tell my team that we're gonna have to wake up on Saturday, there's a good chance that the other teams will learn that the Gryffindor team is practicing this early in the season, and they'll start practicing early. So I just have to hit them with the element of surprise on Saturday morning. That way, literally, no one will know. I know, I know. Well, it's it's really funny here because uh, Wood reminds me so much of our own cross country coach going back to, <laughs> to high school. And the hilarious thing was we would have cross country camp once per summer. This is a brief story, but one of the big things is that like coach wanted us to be out there before everybody because like a whole bunch of teams from like the whole East Coast yeah. would be at the same you know Appalachian State University doing cross country camp. Yeah, and so like you know we would be the team that was like out in the lobby first thing in the morning. And his whole thing was that, like, you know, he was going to go around all to all the rooms and bang on the doors until every single one of us was up for the morning run. Yep. And so the way that we combated it was because he would get super mad if you didn't come out. Like, I mean, it would. It, oh, like, yeah. You'd be like the center of his of his rage. Uh, and so what we would do is like he'd come around at 6 a.m. to do this. So we'd be like running by 615. And so we would get up at like 545 and be in the lobby already. But then it was before he was awake. So he would go and beat down all the doors and be like they all agreed to not get out of bed and skip the morning run so he comes down just absolutely fuming and we're midway through stretches and we're like coach where you been man 
I did not know that. I missed that did one. Did you miss that one? I must have. That must have been after I had graduated. That's hilarious. It was though. so good. It was so good. So anyway, as uh, I was reading this, uh, it was it was reminding of uh, right, reminding me of our own, our own cross country coach who definitely had a similar level of tenacity. Just like we are going to be running, we are getting we're getting uh, ahead of the game here. Yes. Uh, so, but what is well? I just I did I did notice something. Is that like Wood? It obviously has not told any of the team that this is going to be the case, and yet all of the girls have managed to make it down as well and i am wondering how did wood awaken the girls because um as you know if the the, the boys try and go up the staircase to the girls dormitories like at a, lar- a, a loud alarm blares yes which as i'm saying it maybe that's just what he did <laughs> yeah right, <laughs> right, like, right wake up ladies <laughs> well he was apparently um, being loud enough i mean that, the other thing that's supposed to happen is the stairs are supposed to like like um like fold into like a slide yes. so that you're unable to walk up so uh don't know if maybe like wood just came prepared for that or had his broomstick and just flew or something i don't know um <laughs> what a workaround i know yeah yeah, but it seems like Wood was was not uh, taking any chances on his team not waking up because one Colin Creevy uh, was able to be roused by this by this morning call as well and is just like, okay, I'm going to be involved as well and I'm totally coming to Quidditch practice. That's totally it. I'm coming out there. I guess it's possible Wood like confided in some sort of other uh, non-Quidditch player female to be like, all right, wake up. I'm going to need you to wake up early to go surprise the other girls, but do not tell them. Do not tell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Until the moment. Right. The other thing I sort of got from Wood in this was a, was a very like almost Percy energy, but like it, about Quidditch, which I don't know if this is like one of those things where it's like like somehow it makes it more like admirable or agreeable or like less grating than like Percy's like absolute, like because his, his like total commitment is to like rule following yeah. and and like being uh, like studious or something, which obviously there's nothing wrong with being studious, but um, it's like when, when Percy does it, it seems to come across a different way. But like even if like Wood does seem to be like in like an overbearing level of like intensity yeah. about doing this to the point where I'm like, you could potentially be squandering like the effort that your team is putting forth because they're not like in it on the same level as you. Yeah. I mean, I think he's just trying to hope that it, you know, lead by example, like it just rubs off on him. Like if I'm this commit, how can I expect my team to be this committed if I'm not this committed? Yes, yes, you yes, know, yes. That's yeah. certainly it's at least the approach he's going for. And they do all get up and go down. Um, but it's like there, there is, um, there's a line later on in the books where Harry is like, has to hold tryouts for a chaser or whatever. And Angelina comes up and she's like, I'll be at tryouts. And he's like, you don't have to try out, you know, like you've already been on the team. Yeah, You've been on the team. And she's like, don't hold that attitude. People have lost games because they haven't tried it. They keep playing the old players and it's like wood is clearly like nope not doing tryouts got my team that's it done that's true yeah. that's true so may- maybe like wood is even like it's like he's so determined to make what's their work that he's not even contemplating like stepping outside of anything else well he has some other we- glaring weaknesses as a captain that i think are going to pop up in a couple of paragraphs here as well but sure. we'll get to that when we get to it okay okay yeah um, sounds good before that yes colin joins the fray mostly as an exposition dump to remind the reader the rules of quidditch oh my gosh i, I wrote know. i wrote because yeah you have the, you have the whole sequence here where um obviously colin is muggle born so he doesn't know any of the details and harry's just like there's you know there's bludgers there are two beaters that's fred and george the quaffle big reddish one three hoops and the fourth ball golden snitch that's me seeker gets snatched the game's over blah 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 and i literally wrote like uh hey let's remind the readers of the rules 
the game. That's exactly. Yep. But like impressively done in like half a page. Yeah. You know, yeah. everyone's always like Quidditch is so complicated and it's like well, Harry just did it in like four sentences. So it's not that bad. It's really know? not that bad. Yeah. 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 There's a bunch of like rules and stuff maybe you'd like to be aware of as well. But like if you're just going to watch that's like I couldn't explain football in that many <laughs> sentences, you know. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, not, yeah. Not, can't even begin to do it. But yeah, this is this is another one of those instances, though, like where it's like to like Harry is doing nothing here. Like he this is this is like one of those instances like where it's like he's going to uh, be like ridiculed by like Malfoy for there being like somebody there like taking photos of them, you know, yeah. or whatever, like like at the Quidditch pitch. And it's like Harry woke up this morning abruptly didn't know he was going to have practice and had no intention of anybody following him and yeah. sure enough it's just like like Colin is just so like the absolute worst case scenario for the year Harry is attempting to have yes because he's just like he he's just like he's so latched on he's so interested yeah and there's no escaping it there's really no escaping it without like just being like what feels like openly rude but like one okay so I did highlight this one of the things Colin does is he shows Harry the photo he took of him of Lockhart and Harry in yes. the last chapter yep yep and Harry it says he was pleased to see that his photographic self was putting up a good fight and refusing to be dragged into view which I always think is hilarious but it is interesting to me that harry has like like because this is the first time you've seen harry in a picture and it's like harry has no say or no control over like he's just sort of like watching him in the photograph and he's like ha, good for me down there i'm doing what i would do but it's like he doesn't seem to have any like agency over what that picture of him does even if it's behaving in the way he wants but like when dumbledore like when when Harry gets the chocolate frog card, yes, and he's reading, he's like, "I've got Dumbledore," and he like flips it over, he reads it to Ron, then he flips it back, and he goes, "He's gone." And Ron's like, "Well, you can't expect him to hang around all day." And it's like, "Well, why not?" That when Ron says that, it makes it sound like Dumbledore has agency over the picture of himself in the chocolate frog card, whereas in this case, Harry clearly has no agency over the picture of himself that Colin took. I know, yeah, this is interesting because, I, and I wrote something down about this as well because I was like, that, "It's fascinating to me that the." Photo was capable of capturing the subjects like true emotions yeah. inside of the scene and and so that's like literally like what I, what I wrote down I was like is there a chance that like photos in the wizarding world are like extremely good evidence like in the court of law because like they, oh. like they would actually be demonstrating each of the individuals like true intentions inside of like any given photo sure so like if, if somebody was like captured taking a photo with somebody that they didn't want to be seen with like in the wizarding world the photo would demonstrate the person who didn't want to be in the photo was actively <laughs> attempting be, to not be in the photo be so bad you get your photos developed it like Collins like taking a picture with Harry <laughs> and he's just like hey and then like he gets the picture and Harry's like no Right, no. right, right, yeah, yeah, or like, like or like Colin, wow. like even if you're looking at yourself, like so, if Colin's looking at a photo of himself, like like clinging onto Harry's arm, arm, who is attempting to like exit the frame or whatever, it's like, oh man, this went a lot differently than I thought it did. Right, yeah, yeah. like oh, that'd be that'd be bad feedback. But we actually, so I only I also bring this up, okay. like comparing it to the chocolate frog cards specifically, because okay. you and I have a theory about how the chocolate frog cards work. Um, in regard to the Order of the Phoenix. Yes, we, which yes, is we totally that, do. Yep. Yes, which is that may, perhaps even Dumbledore specifically, but like um, 
like after you know Dumbledore is being taken down by the Ministry, like they strip him of his Order of Merlin first class and all of his titles or whatever, yep. um, all that nonsense. Like they say, like oh he doesn't care as long as they keep him on the Chocolate Frog cards, and it's like it's just sort of like a joke. Like Dumbledore, like he clearly just doesn't care about titles and stuff. Like yes, thank you for them, but whatever. Right. Like, cl- but like the the Chocolate Frog card is like oh of course that's more important to Dumbledore, like being on some sort of like you know confectionery. Right. Right. It, I mean, especially but, for like Dumbledore, who's like like passwords to all of you know the like. Yeah. Yeah. To the headmaster suite is always like a piece of candy. Exactly. Yeah. But like, so our theory, there's another line too where it was like the order of the Phoenix has more, you know, refined ways of communicating than, um, how, you know, Dolores Umbridge's fireplace or whatever. Yes, yes, I yes, think yes. Snape says that. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's not explained what those methods are. So the theory is that the, that Dumbledore uses the chocolate frog cards and like has the order members carry around chocolate frog cards of himself as a way of communicating with them. Yes. Similar to like the protein charm, uh, like on the coins, which would explain then why Dumbledore might have like, um, more control over his appearance inside of the chocolate frog cards versus like Harry in this picture. And, um, would explain why he wants to say on the chocolate frog cards. Uh, and then in fantastic beast crimes of Grindelwald, there is a uh, extremely similar situation when Nicholas Fumel opens up that book and then he like flips over to the page with the, um, yeah, the professor like, from Ilvermorny. Yeah, it's it's like a phoenix uh, emblazoned book yeah. that like is, is almost <laughs> like a like a like the forerunners of the Order of the Phoenix. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but they have like a Zoom like relationship like yes. via this book. Yes. So like to me, it feels like like that is another example of like the same kind of magic Dumbledore is eventually using with the chocolate frog cards. So, yeah, totally. totally so totally. anyway, I, this particular sentence just helped confirm that theory in my head that that's how Dumbledore communicates with the Order is with the the chocolate frog cards and it's the sort of thing that Voldemort would never even think to look at because he's incapable of understanding fun things like candy exactly exactly but the other thing I love about that as well is just simply the fact that like uh, Hermione with no knowledge that this was happening otherwise also comes up with the with the coins like like which I mean I know you mentioned already but it's just interesting to me that like literally like the the Dumbledore's army is sort of like the like the the junior version uh, the, of the, the J- order yeah, yeah the JV squad of the of the order and so it's like like they came to the same conclusions. They realized the same kinds of needs and, and in particular for Hermione who would be like communication is probably one of the most important and vital things that we need as yeah. an organization. Uh, it just like reflects like Dumbledore's own wisdom in someone like Hermione who uh, like all that is super cool. So anyway, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that's a, it, it is, it's such a fun theory. It, I love oh, that it, it is so yeah. fun. It's like the car, the trading cards. Yes. Ah, ah, what, what good times, what good times. Ah oh, man. So anyway, we get down to the Quidditch pitch um, where this this uh, like reading this is just like it frustrated me reading this, especially knowing that eventually the Slytherin team shows up like uh, like Oliver goes out of his way to get his team down there. And then he's got three different boards, the first of which says took nearly 20 minutes to explain about his team, like the kind of strategies they're going to do. And then he has us like two more under that. And it's like are you telling me that like like presuming they all took about 20 minutes it's like he got them down there at like six in the morning and then talked to them for an hour yes it's like are you kidding man yeah like dude like read the room like it's not it should not be hard to tell that like several of them are asleep 
like get in the air first or something. I, know, I yeah, don't know. Get, yeah, get them back in the air. Get them back excited. Just just sort of like dip their toe back in because that's the thing too is that like you know Harry uh, like uh, you know there's like the whole like sentiment of like Hogwarts is my home. It's like it's it's like that is where Harry is like at his happiest and he's just had like a rough first week of school and even Quidditch, which like is arguably like his favorite thing to do, like his favorite recreational activity. Yeah, also doesn't sound very fun right about now. Oh my gosh, and so I know. You're like man, like I don't like a world where Quidditch isn't fun for Harry because that's like the like you know at the end of the day what everybody's fighting for like at the like for all reasons all the time is like so that people can go and enjoy themselves the way that they see fit right and it's like it's like oh my gosh quidditch needs to be fun oh i know like, you know and it doesn't seem very fun right i know now. and then like especially right here which i just like i was like wood wood catch him a break man he says now listen here you lot we should have won that quidditch cup last year we're easily the best team but unfortunately owing to circumstances beyond our control but uh, they don't win the Quidditch Cup in Harry's first year. And what he means is, owing to circumstances beyond our control, is that um, Harry was passed out in the hospital wing because he defeated Voldemort and stopped him from stealing the Philosopher's Stone and coming back and conquering the wizarding world. But, well, yeah, you know, and then like, and then the next sentence is Harry shifted guiltily in his seat. Like, guilty? What do you have to feel guilty for, sir? I, yeah, this is, you know, it's exactly like last chapter where, where Lockhart's totally downplaying or attempting to match his own accomplishments to that of Harry's and it's sort of like why is everybody underselling the utter importance <coughs> of Harry taking down the darkest wizard who has ever lived twice I know especially because according to Dumbledore like whatever happened down there was a complete secret so naturally everyone knows and it's yeah. like, if everyone knows then why is everyone like freaking out at Harry and that like also just I love how Woods uh, to like the the reality of the situation and Woods like interpretation of it just do not match at all because he says like we're easily the best team but then also apparently without Harry Gryffindor had been a player short and had suffered their worst defeat in 300 years I'm like dude you know what the best team even a player short wouldn't suffer the worst defeat in 300 years i know yeah that, and i wrote the exact same thing i wrote i literally wrote a note i highlighted it and said this seems absurd uh and because when it comes down to it it's like even if <coughs> they had not played any seeker at all it's like surely in the past 300 years gryffindor has just lost a game ever which would just mean like in the seeker only scores via the snitch yeah so it's like you would just assume that the outcome of this game should be very similar to that of any other game where Gryffindor just didn't secure the snitch I know first. so like the rest of the points sh are just still on the other team yeah exactly. are, are on the are on the rest of the team it's not like Harry's doing anything to help them score points with the quaffle I know yeah th this is the question though it's like it's like when when you imagine Quidditch or like like what it would actually be like in real life the real question is almost like is the seeker contributing because oh, it, it is never described this way like it seems like for the most part everybody goes up in the air the chasers are doing quaffle stuff the beaters are doing bludger stuff you know and Harry is looking for the snitch yeah and it's like is it the case that like throughout the game like there there are like detours where like Harry is going and like flying in formation with the chasers and they're like oh crap they got three people over there no wait Angelina Johnson's actually over there this whole time no way we didn't see that I do I think there is a there is one example I think where like Harry like um like shoots forward towards a group of like oncoming chasers and like scatters them and like clears the way for the Gryffindor chaser to score. Right. There right. is like one example of that, but like it it is definitely not happening so much that they should have suffered their worst defeat in 300 years. And it also says they had to, they'd been a player short. And I'm like, are you kidding? Because 
layer like you couldn't get like anyone to play right because like you know in, in years to come like harry will be a player short and he'll just fill that role he'll be like dean you're in or cormac you're in right. or i think you know harry and fred and george are off the team at one point and it's like they still field a full team with substitutes and speaking of cormac last year he would have been a second year so like where was he like there, there is a known available player that could have filled in yes like in you know even if wood has to go play chaser or seeker you know yeah like yep. like there there's no reason you should have played man down like wh- that, i'm sorry wood there's just that you did this to yourself the other thing too and i'm trying to think of the games that we know they played last year obviously slytherin i think is the first game of the season is there a game against hufflepuff next is that the other one yeah so that's the, the one he wins in like five minutes so that's when snape's refereeing okay so then there's then the last game of the season would be against ravenclaw yes so like even that one it would be like such poor sportsmanship on behalf of ravenclaw to go and know that the opposing team seeker couldn't play this particular game yeah because of like very real life important matters and then just go completely run up just the score dunk on yeah, yeah. that's basically <laughs> what had to have happened because Gryffindor was going into it 2-0 it seems unlikely the whole way around I think the real thing the real issue they have here <laughs> is that clearly I think what we'll we will eventually learn about how the Quidditch Cup works at least at Hogwarts is that points play a role so i think at some point like uh when cedric beats harry uh in prisoner like they're still not out as long as they can beat ravenclaw by like a certain certain margin Yeah, yeah exactly so i think what must have happened in year one is that like like you don't want to give gryffindor both the quidditch cup and the house cup and so it's like you want to like 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 make the reader work for that as time right. goes on like <clears throat> this is something like a stick a carrot on a stick that we can still lob out into the future we can still desire it. we can still covet it we'll, we'll like work our way towards achieving this particular like right accomplishment on behalf of of harry but but not this year and so the big thing is almost like okay so they basically came in and beat slytherin right away and then they pretty much came and stomped hufflepuff right. so it's like they they pretty much in order to have like need like they would have had two wins out of three games that they would play they would they, in order to not win they would have to lose atrociously yeah that's basically the only explanation that's I've got. basically it so like i wonder who did win then because we know at least hufflepuff and slytherin suffer losses and it's like ravenclaw wins against gryffindor so like did did like ravenclaw win the Quidditch Cup last year? That's a good question. I mean, it feels likely. Does feel like I mean if they if they would have put up so many points on uh, unless they unless Ravenclaw lost to both Slytherin and Hufflepuff and only beat Gryffindor, which right. would also seem un- I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It, it does seem like if they if it was the worst defeat in three hundred years, it feels like they were like, you know what? If we put up if we just put up points we can steal this thing i know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe that's exactly it and so maybe ravenclaw came in uh you know otherwise undefeated and, and we're just like okay we got to do it that's we the gotta reason. do it okay we, we worked our way into our reasonable explanation for it but all right either way i still think it seems absurd yes uh, that yeah. harry feels guilty at all or that wood is like shaming him for not playing is absurd yeah yeah, um, yeah. we even get the line the last of was clearly still torturing him yeah. i mean to be fair wood keeper you probably let through something like 300 150, <laughs> oh, you know, like, oh, I know that's yeah, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, what maybe like, Wood should be beating himself up a little bit. That's true because, like, to be their worst defeat, it like if someone just caught the snitch, it like within one minute, you know, like right away, it's like that that will always happen. You can almost erase 150 points off every score. Yes, you know, yeah, like yeah. that's always there. So for it to, it to be the worst defeat ever, it's like 
he had to be the one letting the goals in. Because certainly, unless he just was, unless he was playing seeker instead of keeper or something. But oh, that seems possible. I guess that so. Seems, yeah, that, that would be terrible logic. Yeah, you know, like if they just like don't feel the keeper just, and, and uh, like run a seeker instead, it's like like because yeah. you can win even. I mean that that's like the that's like the whole um, yeah. Like, Ireland win, but Crumb catches the snake. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like you you are capable of winning the game. You know. Yeah. Like otherwise. Like, so. Yeah. Just if you're if you're apparently the best team out there and you're scoring at will, otherwise, just yeah, just score as fast as you can and don't let their seeker have a chance. That that should have been the strategy. Also. Field a seventh player. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, just like, do that. Yeah, just yeah. anyone. Anyone. Yeah, anyone who put Neville out there. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe just put him in front of the ball. Maybe they'll just hit him. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like just park him in front of one goalpost, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, he can't score they here. Can't score here. Yep. Anyway. Um. So otherwise, uh. Yeah. So we're we're getting a feel uh, for just how long uh long winded I guess rather <coughs> Oliver Woods yeah. training. Yeah. The tactics. sun is completely up. Yes. The sun is completely up. Um. Then it's you get sort of like a a really. Good timing, I guess, in terms of like what what plays out. But uh, Colin is now just frantically clicking away, taking photos. Oh, of that's the other thing. Colin is still out there. <laughs> yes. They've been out. They've been in the locker room for like minimum an hour at this point. He's just been like, I guess this is how it goes. I'm not even hungry. I got anyway. nothing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, no problem whatsoever. Uh, I, but I mean, this is like one of those things where, um, uh, like, like Oliver is like. He could be a Slytherin spy trying to find out about our new training program. Paranoid much? Oh, I know. <laughs> it's so paranoid, but I was like, I just, I also just sort of love his total vision. Like everything is about Quidditch. Yes, it's yes, like, yes. Why is that person taking pictures? It's probably a Slytherin spy. <laughs> it's like, dude, that shouldn't be your first guess. <laughs> right, right. But the timing though, and Slytherins don't need a spy, Oliver, said George. What makes you say that? Said Wood testily. Because they're here in person, <laughs> said George, pointing. Several green ribs are walking onto the field, broomsticks in their hands. Oh man, this this is another one of those things where it's just like the the circumstances don't make sense to me based on just like how professional teachers should or could operate. But basically, what we have going on here is the Slytherins, owing to the need to train oh, their new seeker. Oh, oh, Snape is being such a Snape right now. He absolutely is. It's like it's like okay, it's the first week of school. <coughs> Every Quidditch team is probably needing to train. A that new, is a that new is exactly mate. what I wrote. I said this would have been true of any team. <laughs> this is such dumb reasoning. I know. Like, yes. Yes. Owing to the need to train their new seeker, like what? 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 So? 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 What? If the Gryffindors had had a new seeker, it'd be like, oh no, we can't impede on that. But because it's the same seven, it's okay to double book it. Uh, yeah, no, this yeah. is the, this is the type of thing where it's like in my mind there could be a scene and like this, this is like whenever I imagine a much more drawn out version, like like TV show version of this, where we can get like a lot more perspectives of more characters. Like even if it's happening in the background of a scene, having something after this sequence where McGonagall is just absolutely ripping Snape a new one like oh, in the yeah. great hall because like so like because Snape is overriding one of his uh, colleagues <laughs> in order to do this. Oh, basically. Someone is like, mad. There is clearly like a go sign up. If you're a Quidditch captain, here's the sign up sheet for the field and clearly like Flint was like, well, they booked it. I need to take this to Snape right now. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. Because that's the other thing too is that like 
Wood must have put it somewhere public enough that Flint could know. So going back to your idea that like like Wood was trying to keep it a secret or whatever because yeah. he didn't even tell his own team that practice <coughs> right, yeah. was happening. Yeah, Flint knows. Yeah, he knows like, enough to go get a, a note. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's like... <laughs> yeah, how, yeah. Your, your team doesn't know you have practice today, but the Slytherin team... Now, maybe he's correct to be worried about spies, I, I guess. Know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Paranoia confirmed. Yeah, I would love a subplot in the TV show where it's just just like Wood versus Flint on the side and just complete... like. Oh, that would, be, that would be incredible. Yeah, like if you You've just got this like other plot entirely that it's just like they're they're like in class antics and rivalry yeah, right. and, and like everything that they're doing like pulling strings and such. Yeah, no, I love that. That seems like a blast. That'd be super fun. I wouldn't mind more all of it. Also, I also love though when um so Draco steps out and <laughs> Fred says, "Aren't you Lucius Malfoy, son?" Which. I, I think is a fantastic greeting because Draco thinks of himself as like so popular and ha- like, you know, but like I love how in this situation his reputation does not precede him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, who are you? <laughs> Never seen you before. It's like, and now our grand reveal, Draco, Draco Malfoy. Malfoy. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, who? Who? <laughs> you look, are you Lucius Malfoy's kid? Yeah. Never seen you before. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never heard of you. Never heard of you. <laughs> So I like Fred's sort of I, I like well I don't know if it's better if Fred genuinely doesn't know who he is or if he's doing it on purpose. But I, I like to think I mean I think the way it reads is that he doesn't know who he is but yeah. I like to think that he did it on purpose. Yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly. That, that's okay my, so yeah. there you go. I'll take that as the interpretation. <laughs> um, then we of course learned that for some reason of the year 1993 they have gone from the Nimbus 2000 to the Nimbus 2001 um, where the entire Slytherin team has all of their fancy new broomsticks yep yep sweeps the board <laughs> with them again i think it's just worth pointing out that these when these books were coming out it was like when the the time period in question the in canon year is what 1992 nope. right so oh yeah, yeah i guess you're right i guess it would yes. be 92 right yeah. now technically in universe year is 1992 so the fact that they came out with the nimbus 2000 and went straight to 2001 which when the books were coming out of the real world was happening like at the turn of the century, so around 2000 and 2001. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, it is yeah. just silly that this is their naming convention for the brooms at it, this point in time. Yes, but exactly. whatever. Yep. Not important. No not important. Yep. 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 Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Draco goes on to list off some sick burns. He said, you could raffle off those clean sweep fives. I expect a museum would bid for them. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty funny. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. It's so funny because I literally think it says the Slytherin team howled with laughter. And I wrote, really not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really hilarious that our interpretations were exactly opposite. Um, because it's like, I don't know that I've ever said anything in front of a group of people where it made the entire group of people howl with laughter yeah um so anyway. i think maybe it's because like we read i don't maybe it was the shooting stars or whatever whatever brooms like we were lead, reading about ron where he was like being outstripped by butterflies or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was like they were genuinely super old brooms i yes. was like oh he's, he's probably right yeah that's true um, that's true but then then hermione totally zings one back with the she does at least no one on the gryffindor team had to buy their way in yeah um, they got in on pure talent yeah i also wrote sick bird next to that yeah so. I, I put boom <laughs> boom i love it because this this is like and i i even like the fact that it says the smug look on malfoy's face flickered it's like it's like yeah malfoy mm-hmm. yep yep yep, yep. you it's didn't like, yeah he's like that's exactly what happened butts 
Um, and then it's not like it's not like he goes on to like win many games either that I'm aware of. That's true. That's yeah, true. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, we know we can fly, but whatever. we know we can fly. Through the Gryffindor is supported by Rosetta Stone. As much as I love getting lost in a fictional world, I also love traveling abroad and getting lost out in the real world. And by getting lost, I of course mean finding adventure. And just like mastering the intricate spells of the wizarding world, learning a new language can be an adventure all on its own. With Rosetta Stone's innovative language learning programs, you can unlock the secrets of communication from the comfort of your own common room. And Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. I think where I personally always struggled in school trying to learn a new language is the classes were long and my attention simply would drift, but Rosetta Stone provides lessons as short as 10 minutes. You could even do it during your morning commute, making it perfect for any attention span. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Better Help. Let me tell you what, I wish I had more time. Between time for family, work, exercise, and household responsibility, life keeps me so busy. So much so that part of my own problem is that even when I do find a window of time to do something just for me, I'm not even sure what I want it to be. Like read a book, take a nap, contemplate the turnings of the world. It's strange, but at some point in time, I may have lost the thread on what I actually want to do with my own time. And that's where therapy can really truly help. It's one of the primary topics I bring up in my own sessions. How do I recognize my own genuine passions versus what I think the world, family, or social media might want me to do? Finding breakthroughs in this department has been massive. It means my downtime is actually refilling my cup compared to being worn out attempting to keep up in the rat race of life. If you're ever finding yourself grappling with something similar, consider therapy with better help. It's entirely on designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gryffindor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gryffindor. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Okay, so are you guys like me? Like where you watch the Avengers, you're like, wow, Nick Fury has no idea how to assemble a team. I would make so many changes. Well, with Marvel Strike Force, you can do just that. Because this game is all about engaging in epic battles, strategically assembling your team of heroes and villains to stop the evil Ultimus. But it is really not just about the battles. I mean, Marvel Strike Force offers an immersive storyline, stunning graphics, and a vast roster of characters to collect an upgrade from Spider-Man to Captain America, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom to Black Panther, the entire Marvel Universe is yours to explore. So seriously, it doesn't even matter if you're a hardcore Marvel fan or not, or whether you're just looking for like an action-packed RPG experience, download Marvel Strike Force now on the App Store or Google Play Store and join millions of players worldwide and unleash the power of the Marvel Universe on your mobile device. Plus, this is kind of the cool thing and maybe why you want to do it like right now is because the Deadpool anniversary event is going on right now. So there's like weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you receive special awards and skins and all that fun, cool cosmetic upgrade stuff. And and we have a unique promo code for
for every new user. So please follow the link in our description. That's how they know you came from us and use the promo code max pool. And once again, thank you so much to Marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode. Yeah. Um, then, then of course, though, it kind of takes a takes a turn for the worst, as sometimes things do in high school, where Malfoy just takes it way too far and uh, calls Hermione a filthy little mudblood, which uh. is like one of those things where it's like I I feel like I will say it the one time necessary to describe what he says, but even saying it out loud, I'm like I just don't like it saying it. Rude. You know, it's, it's, a rude it's word. such a mean thing <clears throat> to say. I know. Uh, so we needed the context, but that's the end of that. So um, anyway, yeah. So just a just a horrifically mean thing and it's just, I mean, even even if you don't know the context which i think sort of is what's happening a little bit like with harry and hermione themselves it's like you you can tell like what he just said wasn't a good thing oh yeah absolutely yeah. you can tell and obviously the team reacts in such like a visceral way yes like it's like all right that's it time to bust out some wands yep yeah um and you know ron of course busts his out and i we sort of talked about this earlier. Apparently, he hits him with just the world's greatest slug belching curse yeah. known to man, except it uh, hits himself. But Ron also in this moment does, excuse me, does not um, utter an incantation, right? So not only does he perform a what Hagrid will describe as a very tricky curse, but he does it very powerfully and non-verbally. And non-verbally, I know, <laughs> I yeah. Like, like, don't don't skate over Ron here. Well, and that was that was another one of like as I was reading the chapter, I was like, he's not going to say eat slugs again, is he? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. It's like I, I'm pretty sure just like, last. You chapter, just said that, yeah, man. It's like you got you got to pick you got to pick something else. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but you're right, and uh, it's also interesting that it's a jet of green light that shoots out the wrong end of Ron's wand. Yeah. Uh, which I was kind of like, man, jet of green light. Like we we know what a jet of green light typically is. I know, right? It's normally that's the uh, it's the same color as Avada Kedavra. It is so indeed. Yes. There's that, and then I think there's a this chapter I just thought was very funny. Um, so Ron starts belching up the slubs. Colin shows up to just you know make matters worse <laughs> he's like beating away <laughs> he says ooh fascinating raising his camera can you hold him still Harry <laughs> I, I mean I literally wrote <laughs> like Colin read the room man I, re I wrote read the pitch Colin <laughs> That is oh so gosh. funny. I know. It's like, can you hold him still? It's like, oh yeah, I'm just vomiting <laughs> up slugs over here. Don't worry. Yeah, take a picture. It's like, gosh. it's like, Colin, those are our rivals, man. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh oh man. man, I know that was really funny. Um, anyway, anyway, there we go. So they bring uh, Rod to Hagrid's hut, where, of course, Gilroy Lockhart has just inserted himself into the situation, wearing robes of palest mauve today. Mauve, just a pale purple. Oh, is it okay? Okay, yeah. so he he's deviated ever so slightly. Yeah, from, from his, his from green his, looks. Yeah, or, or his blue looks. Blue, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> can we remember our last our last batches of oh god? Of colors? Oh, it was it was uh, it was no turquoise. Was that it last oh, time? Man. No, it was forget me not blue, and then turquoise, and then some other aquamarine is it aquamarine i think aquamarine sounds right there was that he has had aquamarine at some point as well and then forget me not blue yeah. i think is is at the uh yeah what's he teaching class in i know that's the question oh goodness gracious you'd think that we're, we're putting so much energy into this particular endeavor, i know and, you're and we're still so bad at it I, I, just, know. I just want to overcome this problem and yet i'm i'm immediately seeing why it's such a challenge um so anyway he's wearing palest mauve and he comes striding out i'm curious how many how many like cases he needed to bring with him to school because it, it seems like, sounds like a lot 
Yes. Um, either which way, though, we get another instance of um, like Hagrid clearly like just it just plainly saying like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, I know. Yes. Yes. And uh, specifically about how to get Kelpies out of a well, um, which I put three question marks next to and said, really? Aren't like Kelpies like huge? Um, um, so, I mean, isn't a Kelpie what we oh, see? Oh, like the horse? The horse, like a water right? horse type like I, creature? I think you're right. Like yes. like Plimpies, you know, maybe. <coughs> yeah, Plimpies I could, out of a well. Also, like do we even know of Hagrid having a well or like I'm trying to imagine what prompted Lockhart to go down there if he just like woke up and was like ah, I think I'll have a chat with Hagrid about how to remove Kelpies from a well yes yes yeah. I know yes <laughs> like, like, just, it's like why stop showing your hand bro know. you don't know what you're talking you know you don't know what you're talking about anyway so um yeah that that's like one of those things that we're like i guess when visually you see what a kelpie looks like though in fantastic beast secrets of dumbledore is that no. when we get the kelpie or is it crimes of crimes of grindelwald, grindelwald. Crimes, okay yeah. um it's like wow okay the kelpies plural are yeah. in as well i know um, are they is, is newts just huge or maybe so maybe yeah. so. maybe maybe they're they're freshly hatched yeah. kelpies also well, Hagrid's advice to Ron is, I don't think there's anything to do except wait for it to stop. I was like, how would you know? <laughs> Have you been hit with this? Like, that is not the news I would like to hear if I was Ron. I'd be like, yeah, let's go to the hospital wing. <laughs> <laughs> there must be something you can do. Surely. Surely. Um, yeah, because yeah, it doesn't stop until like after midnight. <laughs> but Hagrid does say that it's a it's a complicated spell. So yeah. I mean, maybe, 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 he does. He's, maybe he's done it before. Yeah, it's a difficult um, curse to work at the best of times. Yeah. But with a broken wand. Oof. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, the other, the other, like little tiny little noteworthy thing here is that Hagrid uh, blah, 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 growled Hagrid's and moving a half plucked rooster off his scrub table and setting down the teapot. That is just like a tiny little nod that there are roosters at Hagrid's. Yeah, I yeah. mean it's 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 not only a tiny little nod that there are roosters at Hagrid's, but I think also it says like a, just like a page later that Ginny had just come by the day before. Yes. Um, talking about uh, like possibly hoping to run into Harry. Yeah. And so at at this point, I mean, we know uh, because of the murmurs later on in this exact same chapter, we know that Ginny is starting to do things already. Oh, I know. Just the first week of school with the yeah. Chamber of Secrets. Like so the diaries are, I mean, I guess we sort of already knew, I guess she's already been writing, writing in it before they left because they had to turn around to go get it. And she was like, oh my gosh, diary. Yes. So, yeah, so. so for full context, the cry of a rooster can kill a basilisk, yes. which would be the reason why they keep being killed so it's possible the half-plucked rooster was done by Ginny and in fact the reason that Ginny was hanging around Hagrid's hut had nothing to do with Harry at all oh for sure and, it had nothing to do with Harry yeah, yeah. And, and instead she was the one who possibly like yeah did eat, she kill this rooster and I, now Hagrid's like well I may as well eat it I think so yeah I yeah, think that's I, I think I, that is the the takeaway here yes um <coughs> so anyway then we learn a little bit more about um well Hermione is attempting to defend Locke heart uh basically saying to hagrid like i think you're being a, a bit unfair professor dumbledore obviously thought he was the best man for the job and so i wrote for a job but yeah. maybe not the job of teaching um and as per always we keep bringing up dumbledore's big plan and showing harry mm -hmm. about the dangers of fame um yeah then hagrid begins to allude to um the rumor that the defense against the dark arts position is jinxed which um, Hagrid is like on the money with a lot of stuff in this chapter. It's like that is well, he's obviously wrong about what Ginny's intentions are, but um, he can tell that uh, Lockhart is full of it, and he like he 
is into the rumor that the dark arts job is jinx and like, yep, yeah, no one's been able to hold it for a while. And it's like, yes, a short, which is to me is always surprising that no one's like really figured it out yet because it's been like 30 years or something. Or how long has it been? I was trying to do the math. I don't know if we, if we know the exact year because, um, let's see. So Tom, this is like one of those like math, 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 but like Tom yeah. Riddle, I think was born in 1926. And so he would have graduated Hogwarts in 43. And then he's like off working at Borgen and Burks for some amount of time because he's denied the job of teaching immediately after school. And then he returns yes. to Hogwarts. I've always sort of thought like circa like 1950 okay. um, or like somewhere in that range. And so this would be this is like when he hides the diadem. Yes. Yeah. So yeah be hiding the diadem. So this this is approximately and then Dumbledore denies him the job. Um, right. The second time. And then it's, and it's been cursed since then. Yeah. So f I think 40 years is yeah. a safe bet at least. So yeah, for more. 40 years, no one's been able to uh, keep this job for more than a year. Right. It's almost surprising. This is another thing, like when you learn later on that, like, because you also know that Snape wants this job. Right. Um, which I guess maybe Dumbledore is hesitant to give to him because he thinks that means he'll be like something will happen to him that he, year. I, I, that, that probably is the ultimate interpretation. Yeah. And, and maybe it's even something that Snape himself is unaware aware of yeah like, like why do you keep turning me down like, yeah i what, want like, the job i know like come on dude especially because like his later solution is like to go get slughorn it's like there are other potions professors he could go get too. true to true. get to so snape could have the job but, right um clearly i think that just points again to like dumbledore really wants harry to see this particular kind of fame and not aspire to it and that's why he's leaned on lockhart instead yep there you go um also it's ridiculous though that like by the time order of the phoenix rolls around that he can't find someone to fill the job because he literally has the order of the phoenix at his disposal and it's like why you can just make someone do it now like, i know yeah. you don't even like you don't even have to like ask for a hire <laughs> right no i know yeah. it's like at this point in time just have tonks come teach it would be super interesting and way more fun although it's like umbridge is like one of those things where it's like you desperately want it to not have happened but i, I think that that's like part of like a like a morbid appeal of umbridge eventually which we'll i'm sure we'll talk about a lot when we get there but it's like you I mean, you have uh, every reader seems to have like a visceral dislike of this particular oh, character, yeah. and it's like uh, well, that's yeah. accomplishing something. Yeah, is it like? I mean, is there any chance that Dumbledore like wants her there for the same reason, just to like make sure Harry will not trust the establishment? I think there's something to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because she would she would be like everything that would be wrong with the establishment, where it's just blind faith in in what's going on. I mean, uh, it's actually kind of similarly to like what Hermione has with the Gilderoy Lockhart books right now, right? Um, yeah. Ironically, which is just basically <coughs> that she's always trusted books so she just assumes that they can't possibly be lying to her and umbridge basically has just always trusted the establishment and therefore it must be correct and right like anybody who's standing in opposition must be wrong exactly um, yeah all right so uh let's see they tell uh hagrid more about what it was i love how like just how upset ron continues to be even though he's like puking the slug he's like it was bad it was about the most insulting thing you could think of like manages to explain it, which I love that Ron gives this explanation here, like in the book, because like this is something that um, they they switch who does this in the movie where Hermione is the one giving away this information. And it's just like one of those things where they like they steal from Ron's importance in the movies where it's like this is the sort of thing he's good at. Like he's lived in the wizarding world, so he knows like the, the you know what these racial slurs mean in a way that like Hermione doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and I think you're right. Like it's, it's interesting 
thing in the movies, the the frequency, it, like that. There's like little little things like that that kind of get tossed around. Um, and it it's like I mean maybe contextually, like I don't know, like it, it could work for some other reason that that is harder to see. But like I agree with you, where it's like the the like the key thing that Ron is usually able to provide the group that both Hermione and Harry don't have is a lifelong history inside of the wizarding world. And therefore just kind of like this general wealth of knowledge. That's hard to know any other way than having lived, than it. having lived it. Yes. Yeah. So of course, of course he knows it. Then I think we get some really great Hagrid <coughs> moments. Um, he says, uh, like basically like Hagrid's, you know, sort of, uh, like coming to Hermione's defense and says, and they haven't invented a spell our Hermione can't do. Um, and he, he said Hagrid proudly making Hermione go a brilliant shade of magenta. Um, love that. You know, that's yep. just like one of those things where it's like Hagrid's just like totally doting on her. <laughs> I love as we, as we scroll down a little bit. Well, then he gives some, some like good wisdom about like, eh, it's probably a good thing. You didn't actually hit him. I suspect Lucius Malfoy would have come marching up here and you know, you would have been in a lot yeah. of trouble for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he, he shifts his attention to Harry. I, know. And it, I think this is the funniest thing. He says, got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you've been giving out signed photos. How come I haven't got one? <laughs> oh man. I learned the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just said top shelf humor. Hagrid. I know. <laughs> It's like he just knows exactly how to poke him right here. <laughs> it's like it's like this is like one of those things where like Hagrid is not always like the most uh, like socially conscientious person we've we've ever met. But this is like one of those where he's understanding the layers of the situation well enough to know like Harry's gonna hate. This. I know. Yeah. It's like he's like it like he. It is funny. He's like actually trolling him right here. He is a little <laughs> bit. He is a little bit. And he totally gets him too. Yes. Oh my gosh. Only joking. You're more famous than him without trying. <laughs> He says he said that too. He says, Bet he didn't like that. <laughs> Don't think he did. <laughs> I, lo- oh, I mean, there's something I, I so as as someone who is is like a like a textbook people pleaser in life. This whole exchange here to me is something that like I aspire to, where it's just sort of like like yeah, said something he didn't really like it that much. It's like like it's like oh well, <laughs> <laughs> like good, too bad for him. Too bad for him. I Sucks know. to suck. Yep. 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 <laughs> oh man. So we uh, we get we continue on at Hagrid's here. Uh, you get a little bit of inform a little reminder. He had been expelled from Hogwarts in a third year, but Harry had never found out why. And it's like a it's one of those things like you don't even realize that the mystery of the Chamber of Secrets was starting to be set up in year one back on like the house in the hut. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, but it's like, yeah. oh yeah. So it's like, but because it was brought up then and not resolved, it's sort of like a you have no idea that it's like when it's going to be resolved. Like certainly eventually you'll learn, but it's like it's telling you, it's reminding you of it in this book, but you're not like it's it, because it was set up in the last book, you're not aware that it is going to be like a central cog in this book. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And Hagrid is otherwise so like you know positive and jovial. He. I mean, he, he. It's definitely one of those things where you would never assume that he would have like a direct connection to what is eventually going to be going on at <clears throat> the castle. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's see here. Um, then, then he does drop the line about Ginny. Said that's what your little sister said. Uh, met her just yesterday. Uh, said she was just looking around the grounds. Which is like, even if you like, if you look into just that, the way he phrases this, it was like she didn't go to visit Hagrid. Like Hagrid does meet with her and talk with her, but it's like it's not like Ginny specifically went to visit Hagrid. She's just like wandering around by herself, which you just sort of like. And then it's like there's such a good diversion here. It's like I reckon she was hoping she might run into someone else. And it's like, but that's not even that doesn't really make sense. 
you know, because what is this? Fri- this is like Friday afternoon that she's doing this. Yes. Like, like where, like the place Harry's most likely to be is like in the Gryffindor common room, where like, she also not, has access. Where to. she has, it's like yeah. it's not hard to run into Harry. Exactly. Yeah, know? yeah. At, at this point in time, yeah, this is like one of those things where it's like it. It always feels like there's this like kind of blurry illusion going on, as if there's like way more students at the school, but like you know, you you have like maybe seventy students total in your house. Like you, I mean, that is not that many people. You would know seventy people by name in in two weeks. Yeah, and especially if like the person that you want to talk to happens to be your older brother's best friend. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely crossing paths. Yeah, um, but either way, especially I, because earlier in this chapter, it was revealed that apparently Colin Creevy's already memorized Harry's schedule, and it's like Ginny's already obsessed with Harry, so probably she could have done that if she wanted. Yeah, probably you know? so could. But like, yeah. so obviously she's out being well, not obviously being suspicious, but like that is what she's doing. But it's a, it's a good misdirect. <coughs> this is this is, is another it one is of those a good things diversion. where it's like you would never think you would never think twice about it or have any reason to think twice about it because it's been so reinforced that Ginny has kind of got this like uh, like crush on Harry from yeah. afar. And so it's like if you're reading this the first time, you could read this chapter of this page and there's nothing about it that would stand out in such a way that you're like, ooh, that seems suspicious or even like the rooster. But then like yeah. once you know, you're like, oh, I know exactly, exactly what was actually happening. Exactly. Yep. Um, sneaky, sneaky. Very sneaky. Ba-ba-da-ba-da. All right. What's the last thing? I Well, let's see. Um, then they, they go back upstairs and they have uh, detention, right? That's what happens next. Yep. yep. Pretty much go back up to the mm-hmm. school. Uh, McGonagall lets them know that there's going to be uh, two sets of detentions that are going to be separate, uh, that Ron is going to be polishing silver in the trophy room with Mr. Filch and with uh, with no magic, just elbow grease, um, which like totally like this. That's like one of those things where like, yeah, like if I were to have to go and do it, I would just assume that I would do it with el- elbow grease. Right. So yeah. it's like it's like funny that that's like an extra layer of punishment. Right. Uh, for Ron, but then of course Harry is going to be helping Professor Lockhart answer his fan mail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, oh no, Professor, can I do the trophy <laughs> room too? Certainly not. Oh man. So then they go there. Uh, Harry eats something a little less bland for dinner. He has a shepherd's pie. Hey, way to go, hey, Harry. Way branching to go. out. I know. I love what he gets into Lockhart's room. He goes, Ah, here's the scalawag. <laughs> <laughs> the scallywag, of course. Yeah. Oh my god, Lockhart—he's just so silly. Um, let's see. I love how he has his—it says he has countless framed photographs of himself in the room. I just wrote like, can you imagine? I wrote like, the same thing. I was like, imagine having signed framed photos of, of yourself. I know. It's like, like, oh my gosh, man, dude. It's like, what the, are you doing? The, the vanity. <laughs> uh, the next page, we see that Lockhart uh, generously is allowing Harry the opportunity to address the envelopes. I know. Um, I know. He's really under the impression that this is like, a, like he saved Harry from a detention. It's I know, like, yeah. Oh, what a treat. Just come help me address envelopes. That'll, that'll do it. Um, um, yeah. The first one is to Gladys Gudgeon Bless, a huge fan of mine, which fact she is. She is indeed. Yes. She continues to be a huge fan, <laughs> even to uh, when you fast forward. That's like one of those like fun, like little like like callbacks way after the fact in Order of the Phoenix when uh, it's Christmas on the closed ward and you're getting to run into Lockhart again for the first time since yeah. Chamber. And uh, I think it is also the case that Gladys Gudgeon in that chapter is yeah. still writing to Lockhart. She she reminds me of Madame Marsh, who's always on the night bus. Ah, uh, yes, like, indeed. Yes, yeah, this this okay. person's associated with this thing. It just creates these like little continuities between the characters yes. or the objects or whatever. I know. I love yeah. it. I love so it. that's pretty fun. And uh, so I love also, I mean, how long does he say it takes? It's like 
before it says it's after midnight at some point when they eventually leave. Yes, he says I'd never. Yeah, what we've been here nearly four hours, which which means because the tension started at eight that they are there like past midnight doing this. I know like oh my gosh, it is so long. Like it's like like such a remarkably thorough kind of punishment like like in high school for us like if you got if you got like in trouble you had a one hour detention where you just sat quietly and did nothing yeah like right after school or before school right like that was it and like like i mean four i mean if it was just four hours of sitting there that would be terrible but like at the same time like gilroy lockhart has then been writing letters to fans for four hours. I, I mean, you know, like it's, he's it's, at least dedicated to his people. It's at least it's a it's <coughs> a kind of commitment for sure, because that would be that would be a lot of time to be to be sitting there just, you know, writing away. Doing, imagine if you had to address the envelopes too. I goodness me. But apparently this also just makes you think they're like, what you know, when the, hours? like I, exactly. But like, you know, when the when the owls are delivering the the letters to Harry, the envelopes are always addressed so humorously and it's like it just feels like they're sort of like magically addressed you're right it's like when do they ever have to address like why do you have to address the envelope are you using regular mail or isn't this just going to be like take this one to gladys gudgeon owl that's a a good you know like why do they have to address it at all i don't know i mean maybe this is more like one of those things like where because like harry has like infinity for hedwig and hedwig knows the people that harry knows and there's like direct instructions but like maybe if like lockhart has to go and take what i have to assume is like 200 pieces of fan mail up to the owlry like there needs to be like some associated direction for the i guess so Uh, maybe that's the case yeah like if he's just gonna drop them at the post office and be like send all these exactly but like even then it just seems like you could just like write Gladys Gudgeon on it and they'd be like, here, take this to Gladys. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah. By addressing the envelopes, do you mean like just writing their name on it? Or Right, right, yeah. right. Maybe here he doesn't have that hard of a yeah, task. Yeah, it's not that bad. Because yeah. otherwise, how does Lockhart know all their addresses? <laughs> I, also impressive. Yeah. Also impressive. Like, maybe maybe there's like a, like a return mail uh, thing on all the fan mail itself so that they can do that. Um, yeah. Either which way, though, there's a, there's a couple of other uh, like deeply important things that happen here, which <coughs> is that uh, for the first time we get the um, the the basilisk. Yes, the the ice cold venom voice that says, come, come to me. Let me rip you. Let me tear you. Let me kill you, which uh, I this has never really stood out to me before, but it's it's sort of like violent for a snake that like is primarily like its primary dangerous characteristic is its eyes yeah you know so like i mean i guess it also has basilisk venom which it, as far as we know is one of the most powerfully toxic materials in all of the wizarding world but, yeah um it doesn't seem like the the tearing and the ripping and, and such it's yeah, a little it it's, a, necessary. it's just a little dramatic i do i know it's like i love it. this is just sort of the snake's inner monologue he's just like slithering around just like i'm gonna kill I know. Yeah. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna rip you up. I know. If the, if this basilisk like, hung out with other basilisks, they were like, "Did you do the thing again?" And he'd be like, "What? What thing?" It's like, "Did you did you patrol saying all the things that you're gonna do?" Yeah. Here, also, also, yeah. This isn't in the basilisk's mind. This, oh, sorry, I said inner monologue. He's talking. The basilisk is talking to itself out loud to nobody. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, and presumably, like that's the other thing too, is that like nobody can understand snakes, but people <clears throat> should still hear a noise. You'd think, right? Yeah. Like, you know, but either which way, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so I do remember as a kid reading this particular page for the first time and it terrifying me. Oh, really? Like, yeah, this was this was definitely like very scary. Like, oh. like oh man, like, you know, like what what is it? What could it be? Um, 
So yeah, that's, I, I mean, I remember that as a kid, it, it's definitely like a good way to like take the tone of the story. That's been sort of just like, um, you know, it, it's had like some like, like bummer type of moments so far, but like nothing like dark. And now, now we're definitely like, you know, it's like, okay, this is pretty intense all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. This, this is maybe like a little bit, a little bit, a uh, little bit scary. Yeah. Um, but it, it Lockhart obviously doesn't hear the voice, and so that that can be like a little bit jarring. Um, finally, they get back to the Gryffindor common room where Harry runs into uh, Ron. Where interestingly, uh, there's also like another clue as to what's happening from like what Ron has been doing because he had to uh, polish the um, the award for special services to the school. Right, which um, ends up being a fairly important little piece of information they get there. Since it's specifically for, for Tom, Tom Riddle, Riddle for yeah. finding who opened, <coughs> or who believed to have opened the Chamber of Secrets, which was, of course, Hagrid. Yeah. So a couple, like, like lots of little seeds are being planted. There really this are. Chapter. There's yeah. also, there's uh, just like a little possible continuity error here where it says, 14 times he made me buff up that Quidditch cup before he was satisfied, which is, interesting just because i think later on mcgonagall says like she can't stand the sight of the quidditch cup in snape's office or something or like like she would like to bring it back to her office or something like that like it makes it sound like there is but a singular quidditch cup that changes location based on the last year's season champion or whatever yeah so it's like shouldn't the quidditch cup be wherever whoever won last year is it does why is it in the trophy room i mean yeah and that, that's like a, that's like an easy one to like just sort of like miss on because it's like it's the trophy room and it's a trophy why wouldn't it be in the right trophy yeah room? but it's like you're right there there does seem to be like a very like uh like like i think the stanley cup in hockey is that way where right like yeah it, it's, it's like, like there's, there's a there's, single trophy right yeah like it's not like the super bowl where there's like a trophy that goes to like each year's winning team like the stanley cup just like is the same stanley cup and it just goes from like team to team to team based right like while you have it you have it but right. then you better win again or we're going to take it. We're going to take it. Yeah, it's going to go to the next <coughs> place. Um, so anyway, but that that pretty much um, wraps off our, our chapter for us. It does. Um, which honestly, this was, this was kind of funny because coming into the chapter today, I was sort of like, I don't know. I was like, w- was there enough to really like like put together like a really like firm because a lot of the chapter is sort of like explaining the rules of Quidditch which of course everybody like who is listening to this podcast already knows yes um, so there's like a little bit of like exposition type stuff that's going on but then there is enough important stuff going on as well that like there you gotta you gotta go through and, and sort of like dial in on all those details so that was really fun Yes, it was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we ended up having a lot more to say about it than I would have than what, as is always the case. But I, I know. I yeah. Thought, yeah. Now, I'll be especially curious about our, our next chapter, which is going to be chapter eight, the death day party, because this is another one of those chapters where it's like it. Uh, I would rank it up there next to um, the uh, break in at the ministry in Deathly Hallows where they like they go undercover. And, oh, and yeah. It's like it's it's like I I love heists and i don't like that chapter and i don't i I don't know if it's like the use of the polyjuice potion or like maybe even like the audiobook like jim dale like provides all of the voices as like different characters versus right. just like Harry Ron and Hermione. I don't know what's going on with it, but the Death Day Party is another one of these chapters where I'm just sort of like, that's forgettable. <laughs> yeah, the Death Day Party. Yeah, I mean, they skip it entirely in the movie. They, so. they do, which is ironic. I mean, I'm saying that as if it's not an important <coughs> chapter because we know important things will happen inside of that chapter. So we'll just have to look forward to next week and again, chapter eight, 
the death day party. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. In the meantime, I've got a review here. Oh, okay. Lay it on me. From Chica Gomez. It says, so much fun every week. Greetings from Puerto Rico. You guys are actually the reason I got into Harry Potter in the first place. And now, thanks to the podcast, I actually look forward to driving to school. It's been a blast. We're looking forward to all of them. Questions kind of been bothering me for a while. Why do the Deathly Hallows have such a legendary status when they're all basically duds that don't really accomplish their claim to fame? Harry gets found a bunch of times with the cloak. The Elder One changes masters all the time and the stone doesn't even do the thing in its name. Just seems like people would notice they aren't as amazing as the stories portrayed them. I think that there is a, absolutely a, a, a fair amount of truth that I mean, I think the Elder Wand uh, by creation is is kind of paradoxical where it's like it's the most powerful wand that ever existed. But then because you become the target of other powerful wizards, it's sort of like it continues to bolster its reputation right. for greatness, but also continues to paint a target on the back of he who yields it or she who yields it yeah. in a way that is very much like it's like it's it's a blessing and a curse sort of like you know if you've got it then people want it and right then, you know it's it that that becomes like the game of thrones type of situation it really is yeah and it's like it doesn't even see like i think we we recently made a theory that like maybe the elder wand has only ever had like three master no two two masters maybe uh, that, like, yes. that like Dumbledore and Harry are the only people to like ever have been like true masters of the Elder Wand and everyone else just sort it's like its reputation is what's doing most of its work. Yes. Yeah. yeah like it, it is the most powerful if you are its master, but like most people just aren't and it's just a wand and they're yeah. just powerful because they like they they seek power and that's like partially because they're already powerful and so they get the wand and that like it looks powerful because they're powerful but right, that's about right. it yeah <laughs> so i mean th and that's the thing yeah i mean of course it, it continuously performs extraordinary magic because it's always in the hands of extraordinary people the thing that that harry does uh in particular in in we would suggest that dumbledore does is repair another wand yeah in a way that actually successfully repairs it which is what we know harry does with his holly wand at the end of deathly hallows right um, and what we assume Dumbledore has done for Hagrid. Yes, exactly, because <coughs> Hagrid's wand is supposedly what we'll, what we'll learn in this very book uh, is, is is eventually snapped in half, uh, or maybe even this described in the first book. I can't. I think it is. Maybe maybe this yeah. is snapped in half. Um, but yeah, because Ollivander talks to him about it. He's like, "But you don't use it." Right, right, right. Yeah, and so it's it's funny because there's like always this sort of like like quiet little illusion that like Hagrid's wand is like inside of like the the flowery pink umbrella, and it's just like it just is in the pink umbrella. Like, I don't know who we're kidding here. It's like, it's yeah. absolutely it's definitely in there. Like, in there. And it's like, yeah. look how Ron's wand is behaving and it's not even like fully broken in half. Like apparently Hagrid's was fully broken in half and he never has any problems with it whilst it is also concealed as an umbrella. And it's like, it's because it's not broken at all. Like right. it's concealed because it's not broken. Yes. So what we always wanted to see out of the Fantastic Beast series was a scenario where um, obviously with Beast being at the, the central focus of the, the larger narrative of Dumbledore versus Grindelwald, we always just assumed that Hagrid was going to eventually be involved in such a way because Hagrid would be expelled in 1942 um, and that would be three years prior to the duel with Grindelwald. Right. So what we've always assumed is that like the reason that Albus Dumbledore trusts Hagrid with his life is because in that interim, Hagrid does something to earn that trust and the reward that Dumbledore then can bestow onto Hagrid as like his show of gratitude. B 
being the new wielder of the Elder Wand is to repair Hagrid's own wand and then permit him, you know, like intermittent usage as needed, um, which obviously is still sort of kept largely under wraps. So uh, that's that's sort of the, the sentiment there is that the Elder Wand does have special powers, but they need to be earned by the Elder Wand's respect. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it's like as far as your question, why do the Deathly Hallows have such a legendary status? It's like the invisibility cloak and the uh, resurrection stone really don't have legendary status. Like most people don't think don't um, like know of their existence at all or else just sort of consider them fairy tale objects like they they really aren't legendary objects um and i mean like harry does effectively use the resurrection stone it's like like it doesn't bring people back from the dead but like it it can do a thing it, yes it, yeah. it, it can do it can do something yeah um and and like that's that is unique right right yeah. right yes like there the, you you could you could call on your your lost loved ones um and i i mean i suppose depending on whether or not you subscribe to the belief that death created it versus the the three brothers um the just being clever wizards which we we sort of toggle back and forth on sort of just depending on the narrative but um i mean like the resurrection stone and the elder one were both supposed to be lures for death and largely right. they are yeah um, well and that's like you know that's also the, like the hairy difference where it's like oh is death is like it's a big trick by death where it's like it's supposed to drive you mad because you can't be with the person you love right because they're dead but like you know, so that'll make you want to be dead. But then Harry is, of course, completely different, and he's able to use it in the successful way to bring people to help, like literally escort him to, to death, death yeah. on purpose. Right, which which yeah. follows the theme that like death is not something that should be necessarily uh, feared. Yeah, you know, at, yeah. in in some capacity. Whereas then the <coughs> invisibility cloak, of course, has like the special function of being passed from hand to hand, and and is largely considered to be the more wise choice of the three Hallows, mm -hmm. and are our latest insertion is that uh, in in King's Cross, when Harry is talking to him after he's like in limbo, he uh, Dumbledore eludes by saying like the cloak never worked for me as it as it would for its true master, and that sort of suggests like that the cloak does do something extraordinary for whoever right, it actually like, belongs to. Right, because the other qualities of the cloak are that it, like it never fades; it continues to endure over time. Um, and that it can like, and like Dumbledore says, like it can shield others as well as itself. And it's like, but, but like even, even in the, even in the book, even this far, like when Ron is feeding, uh, Norbert the rats, like he just takes the invisibility cloak off by himself, like down by himself and uses it. And it's like, it still makes Ron invisible, even though he's not like the true master of it. So it's like, it does what it says on the box all of the time no matter who's wearing it so so it just sounds like dumbledore is suggesting there is a, like an an extra power associated with the cloak um for its true master which harry would be and so yeah our our latest theory which we've been working on this one for like five weeks now on the what if james had kept the invisibility cloak <laughs> series over on the main channel yes is that for the true master the cloak would make you not just invisible but unfindable like in a in a similar capacity to like the fidelius charm or something yeah exactly so yep yep and and i think like I, there's the one instance i think where where draco spots harry jumping on like the luggage rack and half-blood prince and is able to like like you know harry's under the cloak but malfoy knows he's up there and he like, like sees his ankle he sees his ankle so yeah. that's the thing it's like it's like Malfoy could just be directing a spell at where he believes Harry to be, which also happens to be where he is. So that's like, 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 that would probably be like the biggest 
like point of contention for this particular belief because while Harry is otherwise very frequently nearly caught under the invisibility cloak, I can't think of any instances where somebody like finds him and like yanks it off of him. Yeah. And it's sort of like, haha, we found you. Yeah, I think I think the 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 out for the Malfoy situation is that he sees his ankle up there. Yeah, that would be so my argument. Like, yeah, as well. so there, yeah, there is there, and I think Moody can see through it as well. That's a whole other. That's a whole different can of worms, and I think it speaks more to the power of the eye than it does to the failings of the cloak. Yeah, which um, if you wanted to like delve into that theory, the the very broad strokes version of it is that like Grindelwald also has a blue eye, and so like we've sometimes suggested like is there a chance that like because we know that that uh dumbledore and moody have been like long time allies and yeah you know have like worked together against uh dark wizard so it's like that's another situation where it's like in a fantastic beast perfect case scenario is our world where we see like a really young up-and-coming alistair moody yeah who like plays <clears throat> a vital role in like what he takes from the situation is is the swiveling blue eye and like right and you discover that like what grindelwald in in his hunt for things of caliber such as the deathly hallows there are in fact other magical artifacts out there of of similar caliber one yeah. of which could be like an all-seeing eye right yeah i mean um, and then like an all-seeing eye is just like an also sort of like a recurring trope in like fantasy yes and stuff yeah. like via like odin or sauron sauron or yeah, yeah the, those sort of things yeah. so yeah um it does seem like yeah we don't know the full history of the eye like was it given to him um was it did he like i always wonder like did he did he I was somewhere wondering this the other day did did Moody lose an eye and then was given it as a replacement or did he just like replace it himself because he found this one that, that's a good question you as know. well it <clears throat> seems like based on his gnarled state he largely I would assume that he would have lost that's what I assume yeah and, and that would be because I mean the, I even even like there's something so weird to me about eyes and like like I feel like I could get like real weird about it but like uh, it's like I can't imagine optionally being like I'm gonna upgrade my eye. <laughs> hey, well, you know what? Just to continue this this theme is that uh, even even in Name of the Wind, the other series we love is that Celatos does does this exact thing. You're right. Yeah, just stabs right. his own eye out and gets a, a greater vision or whatever. Uh, yes, I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. Man, yeah, so. man who cut out his own eye and, and saw better. What, there, there's a really yeah, there's a really good line. Yeah, 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 about it in in the book. But you know, other way. That's for a different podcast. That's it, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you think we have a lot to say about Harry Potter? My, oh my goodness. Gosh, yeah, name of the Wind. <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't checked it out, please do. Otherwise, I think uh, that should be everything for today. That should be everything for today. Join us next time as we venture into Chapter 8, The Death Day Party on Through the Gryffindor. Today's episode was edited by Ethan Edgehill. Vaishon Brandon does our art. Catherine Stein is our production manager, and the show is hosted by me and Jonathan Carlin.